In this episode of the Warwickshire Cricket Board podcast, myself, Alex Roslin, and Chris Kenny were lucky enough to sit down with Paul Greetham, who's the Elite Cricket Development Manager here at Warwickshire, and we sat down with Caddy Raleigh and Richard Jones as well, who are full-time performance coaches on the Warwickshire County Cricket Club County Age Group Pathway. They went into detail on what they are focusing on and what they are looking out for during their winter coaching, and what they want from their players as they head into the season. Here's our chat with them. So, Rich, fairly new to the role. How's it going so far? Um, yeah, it's been good. Uh, first week was was good in at the deep end. Um, uh, but yeah, was, I've, I've really enjoyed it so far. Um, <clears throat> it's something I've been thinking about for the last few years of my career, my playing career. Um, and, uh, and like I said, when I spoke to, to Brian, um, it's not something I was potentially um, expecting so soon, but um, it's obviously a great opportunity for myself. Um, and yeah, first week, first week was long and tough. Um, first sort of yeah. taste of being in the real world, I suppose. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been great so far, and, and like, all the kids I've worked with have been great. And um, sharing about the staff, sharing about the staff. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it's something I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting involved with more. Good. I hope Paul's integrated you nicely into it, and not was it a sixty-hour week last week? Or was it? Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Um, more concerned no, with the uh, more concerned with the desk space actually, sharing with with Caddy. But I finally got onto the onto the desk this week, so that's, that's been good. Okay, so um, Paul, um, if we talk about the overall layout of the program and mm-hmm. kind of what objectives you're looking for from the the winter program. Uh, and then into the coaching principles and whatnot. We'll go into a bit more detail with the guys um, shortly. But program layout? Well, there's three aspects of the program. There's obviously county age group cricket and our squads that we run in the winter and the summer. Um, and in the winter, the county age group squads are getting access to about 30 to 35 hours per squad in the winter. It amounts to probably you know up to a couple of hours a week, and in some cases two and a quarter hours a week. EPP, uh, it's a squad of 17 girls and boys, they're getting access to up to six hours a week. And the academy on average are accessing about 10 hours a week of, of training or input from us and the various staff that work within the programme. So um, obviously there's a scale progression there from county age group through in EPP and into our academy programme. Okay. Um, so they'll, they'll do both academy and their age group training? Everything. Yeah, I think if somebody's on the academy and EPP, then obviously there's a degree of balance to find because we're asking a lot of them from the EPP and academy programme. There's a lot of hours involvement there. So it might be that some weeks, or with some players, depending upon their educational commitments, they might not be in their county age group session every single week of the winter. Um, we might just look at their programme and take a bit more of a balanced approach. Okay, cool. And what, what are the objectives of that? especially the county age group programme? Well, the overarching objectives of the pathway is to produce you know, first-class cricketers on the men's side and hopefully we, we see a first-class game develop in the women's programme. Um, it's, it's players in the women's side that go on to represent RDC, England Academy, England. So okay. that is number one objective, but I see the pathway programme as probably serving the wider game as well because you know a very small percentage of any pathway program in any sport are going to produce professional athletes um, it's, all, it's always a small percentage so in terms of you know serving the wider game such as club cricket minor county cricket leagues universities that you know I see that as part of our brief as well okay just going back to the uh, promoting and, and developing first class cricketers we've had some recent success at the handful <coughs> yeah um 
Yeah, in the last couple of years, we've signed. Um, well, we've had in the last five years. There's been at least one academy member that that has been signed in every year. So most recently, Rob Yates uh, has been offered a summer. Well, been given a summer contract starting in April. He's he's doing that as well as studying at Birmingham University. Um, Henry Brooks was a fairly notable addition to the professional squad about eighteen months ago, and he obviously had a decent breakthrough season last year uh, before his unfortunate injury. Um, but um, the bar can't be set high enough as far as I'm concerned. There is a club objective <coughs> of 50% homegrown players at least by the time we get to the end of the 2020 season and that's only, you know, that's next year. So, and we're, 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 not, we're nowhere nearing that at the moment. So there's still a lot of work to do. But that's a fantastic incentive for young children coming through the pathway now that the the club are committed to um, giving them the chance to play first-class cricket here at Warwickshire. Yeah, I think the pathway is massively evident. You can see it, you can touch it, you you know, it's right there in front of you. We do a lot of work with players and parents um, to, to manage their expectations, but also so that the pathway is really visible. Um, and the fact that the club took on the pathway and, you know, financed the pathway three years ago means that everything's joined up. We've got, you know, the coaching staff is fully integrated, you know, up and down the pathway from the professional side down. So, I think we're in a good, good spot in general. Okay, and then if we just link the so we link the county age group program to a club program that they might do at their nets for ten weeks across a winter. What objectives do you, would you advise that they have for those ten weeks that they try and get out of the players? Well, I think there's there's three very clear objectives from our point of view, and that is to upskill first and foremost to make them more skillful cricketers. Um, is to make them fitter, you know, physically, and also to make them more aware of themselves and tactically. So, you know, so it, it goes down to awareness of oneself, how that how you fit into the game, and how tactically aware you are as well as the physical side of things, as well as the skillful side of things. So those are the three things that we will try and tick off first and foremost in our county age group cricket. Okay, and then coaching principles, we've just released um, a YouTube video on the coaching behaviours and principles that these guys and all the other county age group <coughs> coaches will use. So if you haven't checked that out, go and check it out now. Watch your cricket board on YouTube. Um, and it's really interesting to see how we can link the county age group program, which is kind of uh, an elite program, to actual club cricket, and how those those guys can integrate what you're doing um, into their sessions. So hopefully we get a lot of that out over the next however long when we talk a bit more specifically about the breakdown. Um, Caddy, I'm coming over to you. Yes, mate. Um, if we look at the first, let's say it's a ten week program for clubs, and we've got four, they've got four sessions of technical four or five sessions of technical um, focus, what are the kind of fundamentals that we're looking for from batters? I think uh, it's really important to recognise the way the game's going. And as you can appreciate, a lot of the role models at the minute are your people like Chris Gale, uh, you know, your Coley's, your A.B. De Villiers's. So the kids are seeing a lot of boundaries at the minute. Uh, and the message that we try and get across to the lads is that actually these guys started at a similar stage to you where they were you know, very disciplined in terms of their technique. So I think those real uh, strong fundamentals are really important. So having a strong base as a batter is crucial. Um, good head position, your eyes level at release. Um, you, know, you appreciate the fact there's some trigger movements out there. 
and I have no issue with that. But I think when the trigger is done is very important. So the key message that I would say is, is, is a strong base to hit from. So that's probably with 90% of the strokes you're going to play. Um, you know, eyes nice and level at release, getting right behind the line of the ball. I think those three or four messages, key fundamentals are very, very important. And I think you know, you've got to really nail those early on in your playing career. Going back to the trigger movements, there's always a little bit of confusion around kind of coaches that use them and players, kind of when to trigger, how to trigger. What's the most important thing once you've triggered? What do you need to do to be ready to get ready for that ball coming yeah, down? I mean, that's that's the thing. You've got to have the ability to move again. I mean, if you're triggering and you're getting stuck, uh, and you end up finding yourself closing yourself off, uh, especially in red ball cricket when the ball does do a little bit more. Uh, it brings in LBW quite a lot, so it's important that you can move again. Um, and it's, I think from a young age, it's important to try loads of things, uh, whether the trigger actually works for you or whether staying still is more beneficial. Um, so yeah, I think it's 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 a good time to experiment, from especially from a young age. And uh, as you, as you see, you know, you move on into your career. Um, guys might change as they got, get older. When the bowling gets a little bit quicker, some guys might feel they have to move, otherwise they're getting done for a little bit of pace. I would say so, there's examples of where we've been frustrated by yeah. players who've come to us with a trigger movement and they can't give us a very good answer why they do it. Yeah. And they say that they've been told to do it by another coach outside mm. of our environment. And and it's almost like to be to be a good player, you've got to have a, like a trigger movement. You've got to look like somebody on mm. TV. Um, and we're talking here about players as young as 11, 12, 13, where actually... Is there a need for a trigger movement at that age? You know, because they're not necessarily going to be under the same sort of pressure as a more advanced player. There's a big question mark. I've never coached a trigger into an 11, 12, 13 year old batter. I don't know what Caddy thinks about that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the whole thing. It's, it, it depends on whether they, who's, who's coaching them. Um, I mean, I don't really have a massive issue as long as it's working. And, and like Paul said, if, it's, if there's no need for it, and that's the time to sort of experiment really. Uh, if if a player is staying still and is getting into good shapes and good head position, you know, I'd definitely encourage you to go that way. Okay, so I guess we're saying as well, if there's a valid reason for that coach at another club to uh, implement a trigger, there's a valid reason on trying to get their head level on release or trying to be in a position ready to move again, um, then it might work, but obviously it depends on the player, it depends on their needs, it depends on who they're facing, what level they're playing. Um, and lots of other factors. What um, I would say, Alex, is that you know whoever's listening to this is that that our our door is massively open. So you know if if there is a club coach out there that is working with a more advanced player who is in a county environment, then there is you know call us. You know come and see us. Talk yeah. to us about you know a lot good players get get coached in lots of different environments. We totally understand that. And actually, it's much better for those environments to be joined up and, and, and talk about that player's development. Um, and we're open to, to, yeah, to discussion about it. Mm. Okay, so then moving past triggers, if we go into yeah. all of the other fundamentals we've said about uh, eyes level on release, we've said about, did you mention bat path? Uh, yeah, I mean, bat path is another one. Uh, I think the straighter you are and the simpler you keep it, um, the more beneficial it's going to be for you for presenting a full face of the bat. Um, and again, there's players out there in world cricket who don't have a straight back path. So, um, it, again, it varies, but I think the straighter you are from a young age and presenting the full face and rhythm, and it's important to have those that rhythm of your hands, 
uh, coming into the ball. Yeah. And one thing I, I forgot to mention earlier is the weight transfer. Uh, you see a lot of young players collapsing in the back leg and sitting back on drives. So we try and encourage guys to actually hit the ball into the ground, whether they're hitting off the machine or somebody's throwing some underarm throws at them or feeds, actually getting hitting the ball into the ground, which gets that head right over the front knee. We use a half bat, don't we, sometimes yeah. on that? Yeah. yeah a shortened bat. Yeah. You know, so they've got to, to, to actually middle that. They've got to be a bit closer to the ball naturally. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so I guess that kind of um, comes with lots of feeds, lots of machine work, lots of throws, or yeah. just bowl, facing bowlers in a net, having to keep facing bowlers in a net and the coach having to keep reminding you that this is what we're looking for if yeah. you haven't got the facilities to do that. If we're thinking back to club cricket, because uh, I guess it's tough, you've got two lanes and a small hall, and you've yeah. got 30 kids, it's difficult to try and get that yeah. level of coaching, but um, reinforcing those basics in that, that yeah. environment is probably... And also encouraging the lads to watch players on TV. Okay. Test yeah. cricket, you know, they get them to watch good players. Yeah. And it's unbelievable how much they can learn actually without even doing anything. So, I mean, the amount of kids we get through the door now and are better at a reverse sweep than a normal sweep is unbelievable. Just because they see it all the Just time. watching. Yeah, and watching, yeah. I'm sure if you YouTube Kadir Ali batting as well, you'd get a good <laughs> There's master nothing, class. Nothing on this. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it. I mean, look, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Falling over in the middle of the wicket on a tune and run out. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You'll get that one first. Yeah, yeah. Get plenty of water down, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so. Batters, uh, we've covered off. Bowlers, Rich, what are the what are the fundamentals we're looking for with the bowlers? Um, very similar sort of messages, really, that the batters will be getting. So obviously, it's very important to be um, to have a very strong, stable base with the with the sort of core principles of, of bowling, fast bowling. Um, so a similar message that Caddy will give to his batters. Um, there needs to be um, you need to be able to do the basic stuff and do it well and do it consistently. Um, because obviously, like like we've seen with plenty of T Twenty cricket around, um, guys are coming in and they want to try lots of different variations and stuff all the time, and they perhaps can't string an over together. Um, so it's getting that message across first, I think. Um, and also, if you think about um, spe specific technical work, um, the, the sort of start of the program would be where you where you look at doing any remedial work if. If uh, an action needs to be made safe, um, so one thing to to look at particularly is is sort of the the amount of lateral flexion in the spine because obviously we know that that's um, that's a sort of a key thing to look for in in terms of um, lower back injuries because you okay. have that combination of the sort of rotation and the flexion and the lateral flexion of the spine. It's it's quite a quite um, a significant uh, amount of force to be putting through through a body. Um, How does that get created? What creates that? Um, a number of things really, so it can be anything from sort of um, how, like why they're bowling the way they are, um, so whether the left arm's peeling away, um, they're not strong and stable enough on the back foot, which leads to a collapse, um, their angle of approach, so there can be can be a few things which, which lead to, to that lateral flexion, and that's something that we'll, we'll want, to iron, want to iron out pretty quickly. Okay, I guess a crossover is feet as well. Yeah, yeah. So that can come crossover of feet can come from another things, a uh, number of things. It could be the, the angle of approach, um, strength on the back foot. So if your back foot collapses and you haven't got the stability there to, to propel forward, you'll you'll sort of go your body weight will go towards where your knees bending, and that's obviously towards square leg. So yeah, a number of factors can can sort of lead to that. Um, 
and that start of the, the start of the winter program is where you, you need to be iron, ironing out those things um, because we don't want to be building repetition on, on sort of a, a, a dysfunction like that. Okay. What sort of simple drills do we have that we could kind of help out young children and the coaches in the club world to kind of help out and just get a couple of them issues that you've talked about? How can we? What drills can we use to help them there? Um, so I think I think first and foremost we're looking at straightening things out. So if we can keep things as simple as possible, it would be to, to straighten things out. So um, looking at straightening up the run up, um, straightening the the path of that non bowling arm, um, and straightening. Uh, and worrying about straightening up your follow through as well. Um, so there's various things you can use. You can use cones. Um, we have intervention poles that we get our guys running through. Um, we get them pulling on bands uh, to, so they feel that um, the sort of feeling of, of pulling straight with that left arm or the bowling arm. Um, uh, there's lots of different things out there which, which can help us to straighten out uh, sort of the entrance uh, and the exit and, and the crease, which is what we're looking for. The key word there seems to be straightened up everything. Yeah, I think, yeah. That seems really important that if we're coming in straight and our body's straight at the point of release, then we're in a, we're in a pretty decent position there to, to go so, It's also where things start, you know, because, you know, a lot of issues through the crease uh, from bowler's point of view are actually caused by issues prior to that, you know, and I, I see the bowling action as the start is at the start of the run-up, you know, when you take that first step and it's a, you know, potentially a domino effect in the amount of bowlers that um, you see run differently with a ball in their hand mm. as opposed to when they don't have a ball in their hand and the more natural somebody can use their own running style with a ball in their hand, you know, the use of their arm action, you know, knee lift, etc. You know, the more natural that is and the more they're running in a straight line as if they were doing a 100 metre race, you know, it is vital, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But also, like we we don't want to create robots. Like we want we want people to have their own technique, um, and we realise that everyone's going to have slight slightly different things like idiosyncrasies. But the the first thing, the first first and foremost thing that's important. Sorry, cats. But obviously, we, if, if we if we see that lateral flexion, and that's obviously something that we have to iron out. Um, but yeah, we, we we certainly don't want to be creating everyone and making everyone bowl the same way. But there are fundamentals that we do know that we need to make sure that we're ticking off, um, and most of that comes down to straight lines. Uh, but obviously there will be variances. Um, an away swing bowler will attack the crease slightly different to an in swing bowler, um, and and that needs to be taken into account as well. Um, but yeah, first and foremost, we need to be we need to be getting them safe and teaching them the, the sort of importance of of straight lines when bowling. Uh, I guess a lot of it comes back to Paul's. Uh, overall, one of the overall objectives for clubs would be getting fitter and stronger, so they're able to hold themselves on the back foot, and hopefully that doesn't happen. We don't get as much lateral flexion and cause as many injuries, etc. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, I think it's just a thing for bowlers in general. Yeah, and I think um, you touched on a point there, back foot, back foot contact. It's actually, um, in in my opinion, that's actually a really, really important part of the bowling action, um, and it's probably something that's underlooked. Um, so there's lots of various ways that you can do specific sort of back foot contact stability drills, like simple hopping drills, um, going in different directions, looking to, to stabilise that initial back foot contact because if that's not if that's not as effective as it can be, then it's going to have a bit of a domino effect. So that's that's something that that can be easily remedied. I think. Yeah. Does that come with a bit of age as well? 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, as as kids get older and mature, they're gonna their strength levels are gonna increase, and and obviously the older you get, you're gonna have more um, more bowling history behind you as well. Um, but I think if we can get the younger guys doing doing these really important um, drills at a younger age, that's obviously gonna benefit them as they get older. Okay, so then that was we kind of focused heavily on seam so far. Yeah. If we look at spin. Yeah. Are the messages the same for spinners or are they slightly different? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We'll all come back to the straight lines again. Yeah. Um, but also knowing that each each bowl is different and each bowling style is different and being able to uh, account for that. So like an off spinner would attack the crease potentially a little bit different to a leg spinner. Um, and knowing knowing the differences there and, and still allowing allowing them to, to be who they are but also making sure that uh, we, we're sort of trying to emphasise straight lines as, as much as possible. Yeah, and I guess, I think with bowlers, with batters obviously we say about trying to hit straight, we're trying to hit down the ground. That's embarrassing, one of my alarms has just gone off. Um, During the sorry, yeah, sorry about that, Jim. <laughs> That's a lunch alarm. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. From the host. It's just a reminder that my lunch is in the fridge. Um, I forgot where I was now. <laughs> Uh, we speak about batters trying to hit straight. Mm. Um, we'd speak about seamers trying to get bowl their best ball, and then spinners. Would it just be a spin it as hard as you can? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you're looking. I think when we when we identify spinners at, here at Warwickshire for the county age, but obviously we're looking at uh, control um, and and spin and and sorry, we'll look at that. Caddy's notes. Caddy's notes. <laughs> yeah, there's, lots of, there's lots of answers on that. We'll edit that. <laughs> yeah, we're we're looking at um, we're looking at the ability to spin the ball, obviously, um, and having the control um, and and sort of having a bit of a presence as well as a spinner, um, because um, obviously it's you're not as you perhaps don't feel as 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 dominant as a spin bowler, but obviously the best spin bowlers in the world have had that presence and that dominance, um, and that would go feed into a little bit of the tactical and the the mental sort of stuff uh, sort of stuff as well. But uh, yeah, definitely. I, I just, just uh, yeah, you sorry, go, mate. Just to comment on that with the spin bowlers, it's important to realise that they peak a little bit later. So uh, at 17, 18 or 15, you've just got to be a little bit patient with them. And actually about mid-20s is when they really start hitting their peak. But I do think there's a reason for that, yeah. that they peak later. And that is because it's, it's, it's bloody difficult for a star. You know, becoming a good spinner is very hard. Uh, secondly, you might not get the opportunity to bowl as much in this country as maybe a whole host of other types of bowlers um, and that's where I think club co coaches of all levels can really help spinners out by actually giving them not restricting their bowling opportunity in training I also think this, this might be something it's not that radical but it, it kind of makes sense is actually giving them more opportunity to bowl consecutive balls so just keep to keep bowl to keep bowling because a lot of spin is about timing and rhythm and being in the right place at delivery and and getting to know your action and what you're all about as a spinner. And I'm not sure that helps if they're bowling every fifth or sixth ball in a net. Um, that's just my view, and I, I'm I'm sure that will happen in all environments. But I must say that we try and I guess in our county age groups now we're trying to make practice a bit more specific. I think last night, for example. We put two spinners in a lane, a live mm -hmm. lane, just working together, yeah. and maybe we've we've got we can afford that in terms of resource and space and so on. But it might just be something for club and school coaches to consider, 
is is that you know what what environment are their, their spinners practicing in and how much are they actually bowling because you know as much as I think the ECB did mute a while ago sort of restrictions for spin bowlers I personally don't think there should be any and they need to bowl they need to bowl a lot of a lot of volume so you'd recommend like a, just having a designated spin net if possible well it would it, that it could potentially help it would help the spinners but it could it potentially helps the batters mm, as well yeah. you know because if you that lane could have a spin focus whereby there could be some high quality batting coaching going on about a method you know your method or technique to spin you know and then you've got you know spinners bowling together or mm. I don't know Okay. I guess you've got to have a strong you got to have a strong mentality as a spin bowler in nets as well, especially at club cricket, because a lot of guys will try and whack spin as hard as they can as far as they can in the nets. So I guess you've just got to keep coming back and try and land your areas and and fox them as much as you can. It's more convincing the bowler that that's actually a massive opportunity. Mm. You know, if a batter's going hard at them, mm. well, actually, it's okay, isn't it? You know, I mean that that. Yeah, they might go for a few more runs, but at the end of the day, if they're taking their wickets at ten or twelve, be, you know, getting a few poles because the batter's going after them, then that happens. Mm. I mean, we we see quite a lot of the spin bowlers at the trials, and one common thing. I mean, Jonesy spoke about earlier with the fast bowling is the front arm seems to go, and then the shoulders rotate more horizontally, which that means they don't get much on the ball. So one thing that I would probably say is the takeaway from this today is rotate rotate the shoulders more vertically, sort of 180 degrees, to try and get that drop and bounce uh, and just get a better release point from the, from the hand. Okay. Like a classic sort of up and over. Up and over. Up and yeah. over that front yeah. leg, yeah. Bit of extra bounce, caught a short leg and all that. Mm. Yeah. Um, so if we move on to fielders or fielding, Paul? I think in terms of making sure you cover all the skills, catch, collect, throw, dive fairly straightforward and I think you don't really need to go outside of those four things um, and what I would say to people in a club environment is is that the, the first thing for me is is that somebody is athletically sound you know in terms of develop, developing fielders um, but also that they've got a mindset to field that they actually really want to do it um, and I think sometimes because because fielding is, I still believe, is seen as sort of the third skill behind batting and bowling. It gets left behind a little bit. And so I think it's fair to say that athletically, we, we will be dropping somebody in athletically every single session. We'll be working on athleticism, if not fielding every single session. And I don't think there are many sessions that go by at our level whereby fielding doesn't feature um, and we try and put as, as much time as we possibly can into fielding. So that mindset and the readiness to field is there. You know, it, it, become, it becomes natural. Um, if, if you treat it in terms of the time resource like the third skill, then the players are undoubtedly will treat it like that, and it becomes a bit of an effort. Um, but in terms of working on skills, catch, collect, throw and dive. And I think all four of those areas you should try and tick off in any kind of program that you do. We always will try and put a degree of pressure or competition in our fielding drills. And I could talk through loads of fielding drills now, but it would be very boring for anybody listening, so I won't. But definitely putting some kind of competition and pressure on those drills is 
massively important because then you'll get engagement, you'll get a bit more alertness, mm. there'll be more fun and enjoyment, and the sky is the limit on making up your own drills. Mm. You know, um, I guess at, at club level as well, for those guys that are setting these fielding drills, they can be quite clever and in, introduce some kind of fitness and some strength and conditioning and some bit more activity in those fielding drills so it's a workout as well as testing skills under pressure yeah 100 percent. like we said earlier we try and we try and cover skill development tactical development physical development every single session every single session we're trying to cover all those three so you know if you are doing fielding it's great from a, it's great from a skill development point of view brilliant potentially from a tactical development because you can bring in angles and field positions and this that and the other into into what you're discussing with the players and then obviously also the the, the physical side of things as you say it makes people move i think another another sort of key area that can be utilized a bit better for club cricket as well would be the warm-up because that's a that's a really sort of simple 5 10 15 minute period where um <coughs> if you if you design something or a game like a really simple game that's played that's a really sort of potent area or potent sort of exp um, environment to develop that athleticism we're looking at. So like change of direction, agility, all that kind of stuff that can be dosed in in the warm ups. Um, and you know, sort of a classic cricket warm up might be just sort of a few dynamic stretches and stuff for five minutes and then straight into bowling. So uh, bowling and batting. So I think that five, 10, 15 minute period can be utilized to try and develop those sort of skills we're looking at for for um, better fielders. Yeah, so there's lots of opportunities for clubs to, uh, or for coaches at clubs to get more activity, more fitness, while including loads of fielding and all of the key areas that we've mentioned for fielding. So, um, kind of, I, I guess we don't know, don't need to go into too much detail on the actual technique of the fielding. But is there a couple of points if we give one for throwing, one for catching, or however many you think? Yeah, I think from a throwing point, from a throwing point of view. Um, to develop a stronger, I, I, the first thing I say about throwing is I believe throwing is from the legs, it's from the base up. So too much is focused on the waist up. But if you've if you've got a long and strong base, whether it's going flat and hard in the ring, or throwing over a distance, then going longer with that stride, then someone might feel comfortable actually. It's really worth developing that and hammering that home. Um, so that's that's I would say key point on throwing, from a catching point of view, probably at our level because I would say there is the, there's a degree of capability in every cricketer to catch to to catch a ball. You know, if you're playing underage club cricket, you can you can probably catch a ball in in some way, shape or form. We're probably we're looking at discovering where the weaker areas are, um, in lots of different ways. So. You know, we did a non-dominant side practice last, you know, last week to try and develop the the dive on on one particular side. Um, so, from a catching point of view, at our level, we'd be trying to discover what the weaker areas are. You know, in terms of catching, um, diving-wise, you know, um, all about the position to move. You know, so how how low you are at the point of contact with the ball. So when the ball gets to that batter are you in a, an upright position or, or have you maintained that lower position and also diving a little bit more parallel a lot across the floor rather than too many sort of um you know london bridges or football you know, celebrations yeah you know yeah yeah absolutely um 
and pickup wise, you know, I would encourage people to that the one major point would be alignment with the breastplate, you know, rather than picking up alongside yourself, is actually get yourself right behind the line of the ball. Because I think for a long time, pickups, particularly, you know, if you're gonna throw overarm, were actually coached you, you got alongside the, the line of the ball. Whereas actually for me your chest is absolutely in line with the ball and you're almost picking the ball up chest on, you know, um, rather than, you know, side on to the ball. Um, we, we, we also, you know, at this level, we're doing a lot now of throwing on the move to develop flair and athleticism um, and those sort of magic moments in a game where you might sort of pick up one-handed on the mm. move and throw down the stumps and, you know, we can't expect players to be doing that unless we absolutely practice it because yeah. there is a method to it. So we've done, a, I think it's fair to say, we've done a lot of that yeah, in the last two or three years. Uh, with the shortened formats of the game becoming more popular, you talk about the word flair when you're fielding. How important or where can you see fielding going in terms of cricket? Um, well, the skills are the skills, but I mean, you know, in the last two years, you know, we're starting to see things in T20 cricket like diving across the boundary, flicking the ball back into play. You know, the, the sky's the limit. Um, as long as the players are athletic enough to, 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 to do it. Um, and so this is where, you know, club cricket is one standard, but we are trying to prepare people for top level, you know, cricket in terms of the first class environment or at the very least, you know, Premier League cricket. And so therefore the expectation is, is that as an athlete, they've got to get quicker, more powerful, stronger uh, to cope with the demands of the game. So... I think the sky's the limit on athleticism and, and, and fielding in the game. But you're only as good as your body allows you to be. You know, that's, and so they come, they come in hand, hand in hand. Okay. Um, so we've gone through the kind of technical phase for the three, three key areas. Um, if we start with you again, Paul, on this one, uh, and we go tactical and game-based, uh, how are we going to... What what can you what can coaches focus on in order to get the best tactical and game based awareness for fielders? What can they focus on in those weeks? Um, in terms of tactical and game awareness, I think it's um, I would focus on angles and speed of the ball. Um, but yeah, I, I, I talked about the, the first point, which was being that the mindset has to be ready and the readiness has to be ready. So the the, the starting position. To enable you into you know physically and mentally for you to be able to deal with anything that's thrown at you, so I think you know you talk about game-based skills, then mindset and readiness are absolutely fundamental. We have to train that. You know, if someone's not ready and in a great position or a great frame of mind to to field, then we've got a problem to to start with. But then I think. <coughs> The best way to get across tactical and game-based delivery is by doing it in the hall. So it's fair to say we do a, we do a little bit of classroom work, whereby we may talk about field settings and angles and change of fields depending upon the phase of the game. But the best way to deliver that is obviously practically. And so integrating, integrating angles, pace of the bowler, pace of the ball, changes in the field into small-sided games or drills, which are more game-based drills. Um, I think it's, it's, we've almost simplified. So when we go outside and train, 
we try and make the drill as game-based as we possibly can, which means it's probably quite simple, the drill. You know, we're doing deflections off, simple deflections off a bat, as opposed to making up a drill that doesn't look like the game. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So a drill, a drill might be fun and more interesting when it doesn't look like the game. I don't mean to, you know, downgrade the game, but that's what I'm saying. Whereas I think we do a lot of... Um, drills that are the game if you know if you know what I mean so if we want to practice diving and catching at backward point and cover point we'll set up that exact scenario with somebody throwing at a batsman and deflecting the ball um, so but then obviously in terms of mindset and readiness you are replicant replicating that environment it depends on your level at at club level when you're trying to engage and get people to really enjoy the athleticism and the skills then you might need to be more creative. At our level, you can afford to be a little bit simpler and just practice what you're, what you're going to be doing in the game. Yeah, I guess it's a tough skill for those coaches to be able to create or, or be creative with the sessions as well as include game elements. So, tough challenge, but I think if, it's, if you get the right drill, then you should get really good benefits from a tactical, a game-based, and probably a technical level as well. So you yeah. can include all three of them as a... As you go, I, I, you can encourage great mindset by doing fielding more often, drip feeding it more often into every single session you do, because then players will expect and they'll practice their mindset. As part of that, creating that ready position to field, you know that goalkeeping position that we, you know, a lot of us talk about, you know, looking after your area, the body position to be able to move quickly or dive quickly, which is lower to the ground on your toes, dynamically ready, um, we need to see more of and, and promote more of. Okay. Um, so I guess the message, overall message to coaches for the fielding is make it interesting, but make it interesting by doing more and creating it, not creating, it's probably the wrong word, but um, highlighting it as an integral part of their skills and their game. So we make it as important as batting or as bowling or as wicket-keeping. In, in a club environment, my view would be to drop in fielding every single session rather than doing two sessions out of 12 that are just about fielding because then you make it regular and they're used to it and they see it as important um, because too, too long people will just, players will just see it as the third, the third skill. Mm, in, a, in a selection basis, if we had two players very similar on a batting and bowling uh, perspective, feel the better fielder then would be the person that we would tap forward. Is that fair to say? Um, I think it's too simplistic to say. I think it's certainly one factor. Um, but I think there are some outstanding. You can I, I can definitely think of situations where we've had two close players and one's field is better than the other. But then I think I'd look more on character and behaviours, if I'm honest, rather than just their fielding. You know, because if somebody's fielding was was necessarily through no fault of their own, not very good, but, you know, I knew their head and their heart was right. And they their behaviours in everything that they did was right. I'd willing probably willing be, to learn it. Yeah, I'd be, I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the capacity to learn. So I probably that would be my priority. Who can, who's going to learn better in terms of when we've selected them? So I, it might be one factor, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's the only one. Okay. 
Um, Cuddy, if we go back to batters. Yes, mate. Tactical and game-based. We've gone through the technicals of where we want them to hit, how we want them yeah. to look, and um, the ideals of it. What, what are we doing, or what can club coaches now do to get that tactical and game-based element? I think the first thing I'm going to say is give the players a bit of freedom. So take away the criticism and allow them to make mistakes because that's a brilliant learning tool. And that's something that we massively have a big uh, impact in terms of this phase now, letting the players express themselves. Uh, as you're probably aware, spin dominates age group cricket. And for us, like yesterday, we had a session yesterday where we, we had a lane where they were allowed to defend from the crease. So we're trying to encourage sort of playing as far out as they possibly can and as far back as they can. And just trying to build that confidence, I think, yeah, like I said, giving them that freedom first uh, will allow them to actually express themselves and they'll probably, you know, realise they can do a lot more than they probably can do if they had that fear of failure. So that's number one point. Secondly, the pitch length has changed. So now the younger guys are getting exposed to the shorter ball a little bit more. So again, I mean, we're lucky we've got machines, Merlins, you know, softer balls that we use. So again, sort of back footwork will do quite a lot as, as well. Um, so a lot of feeds and a lot of feeds and throws, lot of throws for, for yeah club coaches maybe but you know we've got machines mm. little, smaller machines that we can use but I think uh, scenario work is a is a brilliant way to do it uh, again you know we might have guys two bowlers against two batters and they're up against each other for about twenty minutes half an hour it might be a six over phase where the batters have to get a certain score and then the bowlers will then go and have a bat and they'll have a bowl against them so scenario work really works really well in terms of tactically. Uh, fields are set, so batters then have got to uh, be on, in terms of on the feet, in terms of how they're playing and how they're thinking. Um, again, one over challenges, so last sort of the game, it's a brilliant one. Uh, really gets the competitive juices going. You know, bowlers trying to defend, the batters trying to get eight, eight runs off the last over or whatever. So if he hits the boundary of the first over, he's got decisions to make then, whether he goes hard again or, um, you know, whether he goes bit more sensible option so I mean a lot of um, scenario based stuff um, the red ball white ball I mean different phases of the game um, you can say first 15 hours of the game where the batters are looking to build a score um, and then a session later you might go into the middle overs or the last over uh, last 15 hours of the game so just just throwing different scenarios different situations of the game building the, the awareness uh, and one, one main thing that we try and focus on is let the players sort of feedback to themselves first before we as coaches dive in. Uh, again, trying to try improve their tactical awareness. Um, so I think, yeah, um, again, we're blessed with the Merlin. So we do some work against spin, some 360 work. Um, coaches at club level can throw balls, set different areas to try and hit. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of scenario work, I would say. Yeah. Um, and uh, just allowing the players to have that bit of freedom yeah, and not restrict them. I think um, going back to just thinking about the club environment yeah. and, and obviously the shorter pitch lengths I think will have an impact across the whole game over a period of time. Yeah, I think so. Is, is that, you know, we, we see a lot of front foot dominant players and, and sometimes players that I would say aren't that capable decision makers yeah. um, because they might not necessarily have the tools either. To, to be able to, to go back. So I'd say back the back foot game to pace and to spin, particularly spin actually, yeah. um, are areas we do a lot of work on ahead of time. So it might be that a player doesn't quite need those just yet. 
um, as much because the ball is generally pitched up to them and there isn't as much pace as they're going to face later in the game. It doesn't mean you can't coach it. And obviously with shorter pitch length where the trajectory of the ball is a bit more proportionate to adult cricket now, it is going to get a bit shorter and quicker. The ball is going to be on them quicker, so those skills might be needed earlier. Yeah. How you then coach it at club level with what resources you have. So you've got to have somebody who's you know can feed it, or the ball's going to have got to be in the right kind of area. Um, is is an is another is that's a conundrum potentially. Mm. I think it's easier to coach front foot play because actually you've got lower ground tees or you know feeds are easier and so on and so forth. But I wouldn't. I'd encourage club coaches not to shy away from developing back foot play. Um, because I think it's going to become more prominent and it's, it's not a bad thing to get people ahead of the game. Yeah, and that gives them a bit more tactical awareness of if the bowler does go short at them, they know what their options are, they know how they're going to score or get their eight runs off that last mm. over or survive in the middle session or whatever it might be for those guys that are going up into uh, senior cricket. Um, Richard, we come to you for bowlers, tactical and game-based. Yep. What can they do? <coughs> um, yeah, firstly, just want to echo much of what Caddy said um, with regards to the tactical stuff. So, removing that fear of failure for the bowlers um, and trying to get them to change the way that they see mistakes in practice and in games uh, and seeing them as very much an opportunity to learn. And it doesn't define how, how they are or where they're at and how they're performing. It's very much an opportunity to learn. And that's something that I know it uh, Paul's massive on um, throughout the whole Katie Age Group set up, EPP Academy. Um, that's something that we try and get um, our play, all our players to, to sort of think in that mindset. Um, again, with the feedback, um, so in sessions, asking more more open style questions, asking how they felt, um, what they were thinking, as opposed to giving them answers and, and telling them, um, as that gives them an opportunity to, to sort of grow, learn for themselves, um, and obviously that, that is going to give them a, a better chance of, of working it out for themselves in the, in the games. Um, and then <clears throat> more specifically for bowlers, obviously, uh, if, if we talk about the, the scenario-based um, practices, the competitions between the bat and ball, um, sort of looking at their field-setting field options, um, relating it to, to their strengths and what type of bowler they are, but also uh, how that's going to change between uh, different phases of the game, different batters, um, and getting them to think uh, to think on their feet uh, about that. And, and also... Um, Sort of realizing that w with a certain field, you might have two or three options um, to a, a ball to sort of try and execute. So just exposing them to that way of thinking, as, as opposed to just running and bowling. Um, and then particularly for for the spinners, um, I try and talk a lot about um, sort of line and angle of attack um, and how that's again is going to differ between a different type of spinner. So like an off spinner might might attack a slightly wider line, sort of a four stump line to try and uh, attack both edges, whereas a leg spinner might go a little bit straighter. And again, looking at looking at because um, obviously we want to maximise the the amount of uh, dismissals that we can have, uh, and that's going to different uh, differ slightly between different bowlers. Um, and again, um, touching on the the change in pitch lengths, obviously that has ramifications for bowlers too, um, because obviously we we want to be uh, we want to be sort of hitting that fuller fuller length, uh, particularly if you think about English conditions. So when we get outside in the summer. Uh, we know that that fuller length, if we're bringing batters forward and, and trying to and, and drawing out four defences from them, that's that's our sort of best chance of taking wickets. So, 
uh, being able to adjust to that and, and also because um, obviously we train we, we only train indoors um, and it's probably safe to say that the, the surfaces are more batter friendly uh, easier to play a, a lot more shots uh, so it's not being not being afraid to, to be driven um, and and to sort of realize that uh, we do want to be hitting those fuller lengths so indoors ball, uh, batsmen are probably going to be driving more of those balls but not to be discouraged by that because uh, as I say, when we get outside, that's the sort of length that we want to be we want to be hitting. Yeah, it might be a slightly different outcome outside. Exactly. I, I think that's where club coaches, in terms of the the whole tactical development side of things, is an easy win to do it to, to alongside your technical development, because asking a bowler what their field might be to this batsman isn't going to take an awful lot of time. He's throwing the he's throwing the question to the to the bowler. He might give him two or three balls to think about it. It's not taking any time. You've just asked them a question, and if your focus is just on, you know, te- the technical side of things, the danger is you get bowlers who can't make decisions under pressure. They can't set their own fields. They can't change their fields when they're under pressure, and so that just asking a question in your sessions of all your bowlers with you working in a net situation or whatever can start the ball rolling. We would take that probably a step further. I've, you know, in a, in a few practices I've run. I've actually put a time limit on the bowler giving me a field because they're going to be under a time limit when it comes to playing in one day cricket, T20 and 50 over cricket. And I'll just start counting down from 20 seconds or something like that to give me either a change of field or an actual field. Um, and they've got to tell the batsman what it is, you know, so the batsman is fully aware and I'm aware and I'll just count it down from 20 seconds. And that's, that's real life. You've got to crack on between balls or at the start of an over. I think in terms of the development of of the bowl, of young bowlers, um, just to touch on what what Greta said there and a little bit earlier, potentially the easiest way to to sort of kickstart that development is to implement that tactical um, the, the tactical sort of awareness um, development in into the practice. So they're thinking on their feet and also it, it incorporates their technical as well. So obviously they've got to execute a plan. But they're thinking much more about the game and about what they're trying to do as opposed to outcome. So running in and trying to trying to hit top of off or trying to get them out or hit a Yorker. They're actually thinking about, they're seeing the bigger picture so they can see the game, they can see the field and they can start to work out why they're doing that. So to incorporate the tactical element into the technical is it a really easy and um, effective way of, of trying to kickstart their development? Okay. So I guess the key message across all three of them is put them in the situation that they might experience when they get outside, whether it be fielding a backward point, whether it be bowling the last over and trying to set a field and keep the batters down, and then it be batters trying to get their late runs and make sure they know the field so they know where they can score. Um, if we just move on to quickly about the EPP and Academy and what they're up to at the moment and what their focus is for this um, for this winter I guess if they've got their own little objectives they need to hit um, and I believe there's a, a little trip to Sri Lanka is it in February? Yeah three and a half weeks for a yeah is it probably three soon weeks. three weeks tomorrow yeah. Gaddy knows he's oh, no. <laughs> so they <laughs> might have already gone by the time this has come out so um yeah, so um, EPP and Academy is a different programme to the county age groups in that EPP and Academy squads are selected across a number of different age groups um, and therefore a player who is on a EPP or Academy has their own what we call player development plan, PDP, 
and that is very specific to them. They have input into that because hopefully by that point they know their own game as well as we do. Um, and then we input to it. We have regular reviews and appraisal meetings and so on and so forth with them and their parents as to how they're progressing. Um, as I said before, the EPP have six hours a week. Academy players probably up to around 10 hours a week. And we're doing the whole host of development there. It's technical, tactical, physical, mental and their own personal well-being and their career development whether that's in cricket or outside of cricket or sport so they got a very they get a very comprehensive sort of package in terms of developing them um, some would say too good at, at times um, but the EPP um, they're in a from a physical point of view they're in a speed phase at the moment so before Christmas them and the academy would have probably focused a bit more on strength um, which they will do throughout but um, the EPP are in a speed phase at the moment, so we're working with our friends at Birchfield Harriers. <coughs> so they're they're meeting um, Ryan, our SNC Academy coach. He takes them over to um, a coach called Andy at um, Birchfield Harriers at, at the Alex, which is great once a week. Um, and uh, some of those EPP players and most of our academy players are yes, they're coming to Sri Lanka. So um, Sri Lanka gives us an a massive opportunity so we've been on a training camp now for, for this is the fourth year consecutive year and I think this is what th this kind of opportunities potentially sets us apart from other counties in that um, how we how we operate during that tour is um, is very very challenging so the players are not there they're in a fantastic environment don't get me wrong you know the sun is shining most of the time and you know, um, but the the actual environment in terms of day to day training and match play is as tough as it can be, and that's the whole point really. Um, they'll face some exceptional net bowling, on not always the flattest of wickets, um, and they'll play some exceptional opposition. So they'll be put under the pump considerably, um, and they'll be very tired at the end of it. But if you talk to some of the current academy players, or even Rob or Brooksy have been signed, you know, they will look back on some previous trips and think, well, that was probably quite significant in terms of my development. Mm. Um, because for some, it can act as a bit of a slap in the face and say, you know, you've got to wake up here and this is what it's all about. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, most of the academy have got that to look forward to. But I think in general, across the whole pathway, we're in a bit of a transition few weeks here between what might have been quite a heavy technical focus James, you talked earlier about any remedial work or any big projects that you might be looking at with players prior to Christmas. You kind of want to get that done. And this is about bedding those in, putting them under a bit more pressure. And uh, so we, we're starting to pressure those potentially new skills or anything that's, you know, that's new to them. Um, and then once we get back from Sri Lanka, the whole pathway really will be very much in game-based practice scenario type mode where you, you, you're putting all those pressure, uh, skills under significant pressure as much as we possibly can, ready for April and May. Perfect. That's That trip to Sri Lanka sounds terrible. Sounds like it's going to be a really bad week <laughs> out there, so good luck with that. Um, thank you, gents, for sharing the insight into the pathway and what you guys work on and how club coaches can develop some of their coaching or some of their players. Uh, hopefully really, really useful for those clubs. Um, thank you very much for coming usual stuff from me is make sure you sign up to CA that's on the Warwickshire Cricket Board website um, there's the Cricket Board Twitter at WCB underscore CA 
the Warwickshire Cricket Board Twitter at W-A-R-K-S underscore W-C-B and then there's the Warwickshire Cricket Board YouTube um, which again we've just uploaded a really really good video on coaching behaviours for these guys behind the scenes so um, that was episode 6 thanks for listening we can speak now I just need a bit of a